<laughs> Second, it's been a big transformation for my wife and I and our family as we uh, had the opportunity to take our daughter down to Corpus Christi this week to drop her off and realize from this point on, now she only comes home to visit. Uh, so that's a, a big shift for us. We got a chance to meet with the church. I uh, got to meet at the Alloway's house, and uh, they actually asked me to do the midweek. And I'm so proud of our brothers and sisters there. They're getting situated, and uh, hopefully within the next week, they'll have a total of 18 uh, brothers and sisters there uh, as they continue to help the church in Corpus Christi grow. So very exciting. Uh, obviously, uh, Haley is now there and uh, is also with a disciple roommate and two other roommates, but uh, be praying for them. Uh, I know we've had a lot of transition, a lot of students that have transferred, and so God is moving in a powerful way. You know, I feel a little rusty here. It's been a while since I've spoken, actually. Uh, it's actually been nice to, to hear the word being preached, but it's good to be back up here and preach the word. You know, amen. And we've uh, been discussing the, the series of the path to maturity. And we will continue that theme of the path to maturity. But as we continue that theme, I think we need to examine a very important aspect or quality that people who mature actually possess. What is it, you might ask? Well, I have a little quote to answer that question. I am your constant companion. I am your greatest helper or heaviest burden. I will push you onward or drag you down to failure. I am completely at your command. Half the things you do, you might just as well turn over to me, and I'll be be able to do them quickly and correctly. I am easily managed. You must merely be firm with me. Show me exactly how you want something done, and after a few lessons, I will do it automatically. I am the servant of all great people, and alas, of all failures as well. Those who are great, I have made great. Those who are failures, I have made failures. I am not a machine. Though I work with all the precisions of a machine plus the intelligence of a human, you may run me for profit or run me for ruin. It makes no difference to me. Take me, train me, be firm with me, and I will place the world at your feet. Be easy with me, and I will destroy you. Who am I? I am habit. See, I believe what mature people truly possess is good habits. Habits can either help us to mature, or they can continue to lead us to immaturity. Look at some of these quotes about habits. We first make our habits, then our habits make us. John Dryden. Look at this one. Approximately 90% of what we do every day is governed by the habits in our lives. Dr. Michael Mitchell. And here out of Princeton University study, if you do the same thing every day for 28 consecutive days, it will become a habit. See, I think we need to examine our own habits that impact our maturity, whether for the good or for the bad. We need to replace the bad habits with good habits. But which habits do we need most? Well, I think Jesus has an answer in John 13, verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do, not you should just believe. Habits are about doing. You should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if, 
you do them. I think we would all agree that if we could study out the habits of Jesus, we could truly become mature spiritually if we actually apply them to our own lives. All this fall, that is what we're going to study out, the Jesus habits. Amen? But remember what he just said. You're only going to be blessed with these habits if you do them. That's what a habit is. It's about doing. It's not just about believing. Before we look at the first habit of Jesus this morning, I want us to first understand, well, how do we form a habit? Let's look at these. Seven steps to developing a new habit. Number one, you have to make a decision. you got to decide clearly what you're going to do, how you're going to begin to act 100% of the time, whenever that behavior is required. For example, maybe you're going to say, okay, i got to get better at getting up in the morning. I don't know about you, I was convicted by our brother in Indonesia. 3 a.m., and he got dressed up. That was awesome. I was very convicted. So let's say that's the habit you I'm going to learn to just get up every time the alarm clock goes out. No snooze button. Then you've got to decide every day when that snooze button is about to be touched, you don't. You get up. Every single time. You've got to make a decision about the habit that you want. Two, never allow an exception. Oh, I got a later class, or oh, I could be a little late to work. You can't allow an exception, especially during the formative stages of a habit. Don't make excuses or rationalizations. Three, tell others. Why? Because it's built-in accountability and a motivation, because you want to be a man and woman of your word, right? Hey, guys, I'm going to get up early every morning. Uh, Now it's out there, right? You got to tell others if you really want to have some good habits in your life. Four, visualize yourself. What do I mean by that? Well, have you ever been an athlete or musician or tried to do something of specific, you know, intelligence or specific skill? Part of helping you mentally in doing something physically is you have to visualize it in your mind. It's training your subconscious to make that which you want to do repeatedly automatic. So you've got to actually visualize yourself with that new habit. Doing it as it needs to be done, as you desire to be done. For example, when I was a runner, our coach used to film us. And then he would point out all the bad habits. And then he would correct them. And then he, then he says, okay, I want you to visualize running this way. Keep your feet in. Keep your arms low. Don't lean back. Lean forward. And we'd visualize ourselves. Run the whole race. What are you going to do at this turn? What are you going to do at this hill? And so when you actually come to that race, you come to that moment, your body's already automatic. We've got to visualize ourselves with these new habits. Amen? Five, create an affirmation. What's that mean? Find a phrase that supports this new habit and repeat it over and over to yourself. For example, if the one was, I'm going to get up early, then before you go to bed, I'm getting up at 6 a.m. I'm getting up at 6 a.m. I'm getting up at 6 a.m. And what will happen is eventually you'll start waking up at 5.59.59. I'm dead serious. You've got to have an affirmation of whatever habit it is you're trying to form. Number six, 
Resolve to persist. You got to keep forming this habit until it becomes automatic. You know how when you've actually formed a habit? When you actually begin to feel uncomfortable when you don't do what you've decided to do. That's how you know it's now a habit. Seven, very important, give yourself a reward. Hopefully not something contradictory to your habit. <laughs> I got up at 6 a.m. every morning, so I'm sleeping in. This is my reward. That, that's not helping your habit, okay? <laughs> but you need affirmation. You need a reward to encourage and reinforce this new behavior. Amen? So hopefully that will help you, those steps. But now I want to focus on what I believe is one of the most important habits of Jesus, and that is the habit of using Scripture. What is the habit of using Scripture? It is choosing consistently to study and apply God's Word to everyday life situations, whether temptations, trials, or even triumphs. Jesus knew Scripture so well that when something was misquoted, misused, taken out of context, counterfeited, added to, or taken away, he could immediately spot it. How about us? How good is our habit of using Scripture in our lives? So let's look at a few ways that Jesus, from the Scriptures, used the Scriptures. First one, Jesus used Scripture against temptation. You know, in Matthew 4.1, we see this. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Did you catch that? Did you see who led him to the desert to be tempted? The Spirit. That's interesting, right? I thought that the Bible says, Satan, that God never would tempt us. No, it says he would never tempt you beyond what you can bear. Never allow it. But the Spirit might actually lead us to situations that are going to test our faith. The Spirit led him to the desert knowing that's where Satan would be. That doesn't mean we should walk into a temptation place. Let the Spirit lead you, not your own heart. Okay? But I think that's a little scary, right? What's that tell us? Well, if we're wanting to keep in step with the Spirit, then we better be ready for temptation because it's going to come to every one of us. We know that Satan, from the story, for sake of time... He he tempted him three times, even using scriptures. But each time, Jesus responded, quoting scripture, all from Deuteronomy. All his answers are quoting the book of Deuteronomy. Let's look at those three responses to the temptations. Matthew 4.4, Jesus answered, well, I feel, no, well, I believe, no, well, I I learned, no, I, I grew up knowing, no. It is written. How many of us respond to temptation with things other than it is written? That's why we probably fail when that temptation hits. Jesus understood that if I'm going to face temptation, I have to have a standard, an ideal, a conviction that is greater than anything Satan could throw my way. And since the heart's deceitful above all things, I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust my experiences. I can't trust what I believe is right. I've got to have something that is true, just like the hoax shared. And so he says, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word 
that comes from the mouth of God. Best diet ever, right there. The next temptation, it responds very similarly. Verse 7. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the third time. Understand, temptations don't just usually come once. They tend to come in many ways and at many times. But in verse 10, he says, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is written. Are you prepared to fight temptation with Scripture? Think of any temptation. Let's, let's see how well we're going to do here. Let's say I say your temptation is lust. What would be your scripture? Anyone? What's it say? Need the words. Jesus didn't quote the book, chapter, verse. He said the words. It is written. What's it say? Yes. He's finding it. See? Are we prepared? Did you get it yet? Okay. That's a good one. Amen. There's so many scriptures we could use in that moment of temptation. I'm going to keep a covenant with my eyes, like we read in Job. Or how about the one, how does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to the word. Do you have a scripture to use when temptation comes? Rather than going, oh, I think, I feel, I believe, I hope, it's, it is written. What about pride? What would be a scripture for pride? Pride comes before the fall. That's a good reminder, right? How about God opposes the proud, he lifts the humble. What about selfishness? You're tempted to be selfish. What's your scripture? Oh, good. We got more for that one. I guess that we deal with that a little bit more. All right. But whatever the temptation may be, Jesus says it is written. So if you're not reading it, how well are you going to do with temptation? If you don't even have the scripture in mind, how are you going to fight like Jesus did? Man, we need this habit of using Scripture to fight temptation. Jesus understood, I must use Scripture. The second thing we see about Jesus in using Scripture, he believed in the authority of Scripture. He believed in how powerful, how true, how constant, and how reliable it is. In fact, from a parable where he was talking about the rich man and Lazarus and how one went to the paradise and one went to Hades. And then this is what we find in his comments, Luke 16. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. See, the rich man was like, man, if I can't go back, can you send someone? How are they going to know that, man, there's a, there's a decision that needs to be made on earth because once you die, it's too late. How are you going to let them know? This is Jesus' response. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even of someone rises from the dead. 
Did you just catch what Jesus stated there? He's saying, okay, you, you want them to know? More important than my resurrection, for them to know the truth, is Scripture. He said, my resurrection isn't even the authority. Because it's Scripture that predicted my resurrection. It's Scripture that said I must do this for the Lord. It's Scripture that shows you that there's an answer afterward. It's Scripture that is your authority. Wow. Is it your authority? Or only in some parts of your life? Jesus felt it was the authority for every part of his life. We're going to see that as we look at another aspect of how he used Scripture. What about relationships? You going off experience? We, we heard from the hoax how, how very clearly in the world, man, we don't know how to have good relationships, right? I used to always wonder about that, being in sports and the guys in the locker talk, oh yeah, I'm a man, I know how to have relationships, I've had so many girlfriends. And then it hit me, it's like, if you really knew how to have a relationship, you'd only have one. Right? Like, that always didn't make sense to me. If you had so many, you should only have one if you really knew what you're doing. Right? So what's your authority on relationships? See, my authority up until that point, it was my emotions. It was my lust. It was whatever I desired from the relationship, not what I could give to it. But man, when Jesus came into my life and the scriptures become my authority, now everything to do with relationships, it's the authority. What does it say how I should treat a woman? What does it say about purity? What does it say about boundaries? What does it say about respect and honoring? Is the scripture the authority in every area of your life? If it's not, then you don't have that Jesus habit. When he said, man, if they need to know the truth, the resurrection's not even enough, but scripture is. Wow. That's how authoritative Jesus believed the scripture was. Amen? The third thing we see in how Jesus used Scripture. He used Scripture to teach people the truth. You know, after his resurrection, he appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. How did he help them know the truth? Let's just look at a few verses here for sake of time. Luke 24, verse 25 through 27. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets. Do you realize you can make a disciple with the Old Testament? Hmm. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then later in verse 32, they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. What are you using to show people the truth? Your opinion? Your upbringing? Your religion? Or are you using scripture? You know, we in the ministry can be as guilty of this as anyone. Say, oh, we know, we know, oh, you know, it says that. No, man, we got to open up the Bible. We got to scroll to it if you got the digital version. We got to start using scripture to teach the truth, not our interpretation of it, not our memory of it, not our opinion about it. We got to open up the scripture and use it to teach the truth. You know what that means? You got to trust it to have the impact rather than you. You may teach it and they may go, I don't know, but then you got to let it go. You got to let that scripture soak in on them. 
You got to let them go home and wrestle with the word of God rather than your words. And we see what can happen when you allow that. So I think, you know, we've been looking at some different links, just of different paradigm shifts, a way of thinking of how we need to interact with people. And it's funny how we can get to this point where rather than it's come and you can change with God, it's changed, and then you can come. The only way we can change is with the word of God. Not with joining an organization. It's the Bible. And you know what's funny to me? It's, it's not just about having the scripture to teach the truth to others. Don't you still need to know the truth about yourself? I mean, when I was called to be a disciple, I was a college student. I didn't need to know the truth about being a husband yet. But then later on, I got married. Well, they didn't talk about that when I became a disciple. So where am I going to learn the truth about being the right kind of husband? The scriptures. What about being a parent? What about dealing with loss or grief? What about dealing with temptations, dealing with the body breaking down, dealing with the temple? Whatever it may be, are we still using Scripture to teach ourselves the truth? Are we just accepting what we think is right? Jesus used the Scripture to teach the truth. Did it not change our life? Man, as you heard the hoax story, and you just, wow, each one, the, the one thing that was common is when the Bible was opened up with them, it changed their life. Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember that first time where the the true Christ was revealed to you? Do you remember how exciting that was? Like, man, I've never seen this before. And I don't know about you, I was so excited because I'd never read the Bible and had it made sense before. I would literally read three hours a day while I was studying. Because I just wanted to know more. Because this was the truth. It's going to change my life. And then it's sad how 20 plus years later, I I don't still believe that. By the way, I practice it. Am I reading three hours today? I mean, these are the things that are convicting. I need the truth as much now as I did then. Don't you? Isn't there new stages in your life that you, didn't, you weren't prepared for? Then you got to use the scripture to show the way. Amen? And Jesus is the way. He is the word. The last thing, very important. Jesus used scriptures to understand his present trials. You know, as Jesus was about to be seized, and even his disciples sought to free him, these are the words that Jesus responded with. He's about to be taken captive. He knows he's going to be ridiculed, abused, judged, and ultimately condemned to die. And yet, here is how he dealt with that trial. Here is how he understood the present situation he was about to endure. Matthew 26, verse 53. Do you think I cannot call my father and he will at once put my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Man, you don't have to read the Old Testament very long to know one angel's enough. Right? 100,000, boom, one swipe of the arm. And he has that many legions of? I think uh, they could have dealt with the situation. And yet, look at his response. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? that say it must happen this way. And then even later on in the conversation, verse 56, but this has all taken place, this trial, this suffering, this thing that may not make sense to my human understanding, has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And all the disciples deserted him and fled. 
Jesus made sense of his sufferings, his trials, his tribulations, his temptations by holding on his desire to live by the word rather than be freed from the trial. That's how strong his habit of using the word was. That he understood his situation through the scriptures. What do you use to understand your trials? It's your first instinct to go, God, you're not fair! God, you're not just! Why me? I've definitely done that. Jesus didn't. Jesus went to Scripture to find meaning, even in the midst of that trial. Because I know there's, in this room, so many different trials of different limitations and different situations and consequences that I know without a doubt that we all need Scripture to help us endure it. I mean, isn't Psalms really about how to understand our trials? I mean, David went through a bunch of them, and that's why I think he wrote all these psalms. It's like he is trying to understand God in the midst of the suffering. Are we using Scripture to understand our present situations? Or are we just giving into our emotions, giving into our doubts, giving into our fears, and then neglect the word that can actually help comfort us, strengthen us, and empower us to endure through it? These are the questions we need to consider. If we truly want to mature, we have got to have this habit of using scriptures. What did Jesus do in all four of these things we shared? He used the scriptures. I want to become mature. Then I must use scripture like Jesus. Do you want to become mature? Then you got to use scripture like Jesus. So I'm going to end with some very specific ways that you can develop this habit of using Scripture. Are you ready? Because I don't want this to be something you believe. A habit has to be something you decide and believe, and then you've got to go do. And no one can create a habit for you. No one. You must desire and apply that habit yourself for it to become yours. So how do we create this habit of using scripture. Number one, read the Bible every day. It really is that simple. How do you create a habit? You do it every day. You want to create a habit of using scripture? Read the Bible every day. Why were they a more noble character than the Bereans? The Bereans, why were they more noble? They eagerly examined the scriptures once a week. No, the scripture says daily. But here's the thing. You can make that decision. I'm going to read it every day. So that first day comes, I don't know what to read. Eh. It usually goes to Psalms anyway because it's in the middle, right? Or you get one of those weird scriptures, you know, Judas, go and do what what you were going to do. What? (laughs) Well, what was he going to go do? And Judas hanged himself. No, that's not good. Right? So, guys, you may decide to read every day, but have a plan. What do you want to read every day? What do you want to know about God? Know about Jesus? Know about the truth? Know about his kingdom? Know about the spirit? What do you want? You've got to have a plan if you're going to do it every day. And here's the cool thing. There's so many plans out there. Man, there's all kinds of digital plans, chronological, you name it. Guys, it's amazing what you can do. Several apps, several reading plans, amen? The second thing, this one's going to be a little more challenging. 
Commit to reading the whole Bible. Genesis, in the beginning, to Revelations, amen. Every year. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but you've got to ask, have you ever read the whole Bible? A lot of us have. I've done it in 90 days. Well, several of us did. It's a great program. It's very challenging. But let me tell you, man, you read the whole Bible in 90 days, it begins to consume your consciousness. And how good is that? When everything we want to talk about is not the latest movie, the latest trend, and the latest gadget, it's, man, did you get what we read this week? It's amazing. And here's the other cool thing. There's so many kinds of Bibles. Get a chronological one. That's a lot of fun. I particularly love the Gospels when it puts all four together chronologically. Get a chronological Bible. It's awesome. Every year, get a different translation. Just so that you don't just get you, oh, I read it. No, you get, you have a new translation, you've got to focus. Read the whole Bible at least once every year. Amen? Three, expose yourself to the Bible being taught every week. Not just you having your daily time, but go learn. Don't miss meetings of the body. It's an opportunity to have the Bible be taught to you. How phenomenal was it to have Gordon teach to us for four weeks in a row? Wasn't that awesome? Guys, when we have other teaching opportunities, like the prepared to answer earlier in the year, you know, we'd love to have him do his Roman series at some point. I think that would be phenomenal. Really understand grace. Man, when there are opportunities to be taught the Bible, we've got to make an effort to be there. Amen? Be in Bible studies. See how the Bible can change someone's life. You become good at it. And you'll see how powerful that is. Amen? Four. (laughs) Use the Bible to determine if something is doctrinally correct. Guys, we're in a very religious world, and a lot of people think they got the truth understood. But we can't just accept everything. We got to let the Bible determine what's true and what's not. Correct? But you're not going to always have Gordon next to you on those difficult questions, are you? I mean, he'd love to. He loves that kind of discussion and talk. But when you're out there on your own, are you prepared to test everything that's stated to make sure it's doctrinally correct? You've got to know your Bible. This is how you're going to create a habit of using the Bible. Amen? Number five, use biblical principles to determine moral issues. This is a tough one, guys, because we've seen it. Now, this is not what we usually do. Something happens on the news. Racial situation. War. Whatever it may be. Same-sex marriage. We have all these opinions and thoughts, and we talk on Facebook and blah, blah, And yet we never go to the Scriptures to define how should we relate to this. How should we be in dealing with these things? And you'd be surprised. A lot of things the Bible says, don't worry about it. Just be a disciple. <laughs> it's, you, you're not the judge. God is. He will work it out we got to be careful that we just demand this certain moral excellence or moral situation or moral issue, but we don't even use the Scripture to determine it. We're using our own background, our own baggage, our own experiences, rather than Scripture to define how we deal with moral situations. Amen? And we all need to work on that one. Six, use Scripture to find comfort during trials and suffering. Sometimes that's all we have, guys. There is no answer. There is no clear why. But we can go to the scriptures to find comfort. 
Psalms, like I mentioned earlier, is an incredible place to go when you don't understand. (laughs) And you just need to know, God, I know you understand. And those Psalms, going to those scriptures can help us during those times. Amen? This is how we're going to create a habit of using scripture. Seven, (laughs) use scripture to judge experience. Don't use experience to judge scripture. Let me say that again, because that's an important one. Use scripture to judge experience. Don't use experience to judge scripture. We got to be careful, guys, that we don't start putting down laws that even the Bible doesn't put because of our experience. Our experience can taint how we interpret. Isn't that what happens with a lot of denominations? Their experiences is how they try to interpret Scripture. No, it should always be the Scripture the other way. That we got to deal with our experience, our situation, and we got to let the Scripture dictate how we need to be, how we need to believe, how we need to change, how we need to behave. Scripture should be what we use first. Amen? Eight. I think this one's important. Keep a copy, digital or printed, of the Bible with you. How many times, guys, we, we have to wait in line for things? Anyone go to get your license, you know, recently? <laughs> Rather than us sitting there and maybe being tempted by a pretty girl next to us or watching the TV news and being discouraged at how terrible our world is, Man, maybe we could pull out a little Bible. Maybe we could open up our digital and we can read Scripture. Opportunities to reinforce what's most important. None of those other things are going to get us to heaven, but the Scripture can. Right? Man, bring the Bible with you, which leads to the next one. If you don't have a copy on you, you still could have the Bible with you. How? Memorize Scripture. And when I mean memorize scripture, don't just memorize book and verse. It doesn't help you very much. Right? Memorize the words of God. I remember one time, Leanne and I, when we were traveling all over the place, when we were leading churches in Scandinavia, it was like we had to get up really early. It's like, man, we didn't really have time to sit down and read, and our Bibles were packed, and we're like, man, but we need time in the Word. And then we're like, well, let's just quote back and forth with each other scriptures we remember. And at first it was rusty, but it was amazing. We went like an hour just quoting scriptures back and forth. It was the coolest quiet time we had together. Realizing, wow, that's still in there, but what about now? Could I quote those now? Guys, we need to memorize scripture. Again, Jesus didn't have a printed word when Satan tempted him. Now, he was the word, so that was pretty helpful. <laughs> okay, I'll give him that. But how are we going to f- be ready in temptation if we don't have a copy with us in that moment and we don't know where to look for that temptation Man, if we had memorized a scripture for that specific temptation, how much more prepared are we? We've got to know these words, memorize scripture. You know, it's something I'm working on right now. I've still got a long way to go, but I'm trying to remember, remember one verse from every book of the Bible. That's something I'm, I'm creating a list, and I'm not there yet, so don't test me yet. But that's something, I'd be, how cool would it be that I could, I could quote maybe one memory scripture from every book of the Bible? How cool would that be? I'd be ready, man. What about Ecclesiastes? Oh, yeah, I got one. Right? Song of songs, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do or numbers, but I'll get there. <laughs> Leviticus, yeah, I don't really need to know about mold and, mold and stuff. You know, I'll find something. But guys, we need to memorize Scripture if we're going to use Scripture like this habit of Jesus. And finally, <laughs> how does it become a habit? Apply everything we just talked about. Everything we just shared, you've got to go do. Apply it to your life. And I'll tell you, it will change you. It will transform you 
And you know what else it will do? It's living and active, remember? It starts to transform the people around you. Start with your home. If you're parents and you have children, start applying the scripture in your home. We talk about all the time we need to have a devotional at least once a week in our family. Is that happening? If it's not, then you're not helping your children create a habit of using Scripture. When you have a situation in your family, an argument in your marriage, pull out the Bible instead of just fighting it out. And use Scripture. Apply Scripture to every area of your life. Amen? Guys, as we continue to study out the Jesus habits, it's going to be exciting. But we must begin with this one. Using Scripture. I'll finish with this verse in Hebrews 5. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, sounds like a habit, right? Have trained themselves, sounds like applying the habit, to distinguish good from evil. Guys, let's start with this Jesus habit, using Scripture. When we're faced with our temptation, when we're faced with our trials, And even when we rejoice in our triumphs, let our response be, not I feel, I think, I hope, I know. Let it be, it is written. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.